Today we're going to be uh, continuing the sermon series that we started a few weeks ago called Redeeming Rituals. Now I know in our modern services we're not very ritualistic. I mean there's not a lot that we do that is part of the traditional ritual. Our rituals are a bit different in here. And yet we're part of this uh, larger Christendom, this body of Christ that um, that believes in rituals. We've talked about Holy Communion. We've talked about Holy Baptism. We've talked about the Lord's Prayer. And today we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. And, and I want to um, uh, basically talk to us about what creeds are about. And I want to first say that they're biblical. They're based on biblical testimony. And so today I wanted to Uh, preach on the Apostles' Creed from one of my favorite texts in the Bible, which is Romans, the 8th chapter. Um, I dare say that I have preached more on Romans 8 than any passage in the entire Bible because many of our funeral services also um, uh, center on Romans 8. It's just one of the most popular passages in all of the Bible. And so I'd like to read it again for us this morning and, um, and, then, and then talk a little bit about the Apostles' Creed to you and why creeds are so important. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his only Son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give everything else? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, and we need to realize that when Paul wrote this, he was probably in prison um, just you know, a, a short period of time before he'd be executed. He's quoting Scripture and says, For it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, not even in that dire situation. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, part of our um, more modern common ritual here is oftentimes we say God is good and there's a response to that, right? God is good and all the time. And we believe that. It underscores a common belief that we all... um, we, we say, and, and we hope we always believe that, even though from time to time we may, we may catch ourselves in a little bit of a doubt or wonder, 
about God being good all the time and all the time God being good. And it is so important for us to say it because it underscores our belief. You know, the, the, the church through the centuries has had two primary creeds, one called the Nicene Creed and one called the Apostles' Creed. We're going to center in on the Apostles' Creed. But the older of the two is the Nicene Creed that came forth when the church was dealing with a, a heresy that was brought by a, a clergyman named Arius. It's called the Arian Controversy. And, and the controversy was that it was hard for Arius to see that there was a three-in-one, that God was three-in-one. He had a difficult time talking about Jesus and his divinity. And so a bishop named Alexander assembled a group at Nicaea, Turkey. Therefore, we get the word Nicene, Nicene Creed. And, and they centered in on establishing the Trinitarian understanding that we have of God, that God is three in one. And, and then Arius, who had um, uh, taught otherwise, his view was considered to be heresy or false teaching. Now the Apostles' Creed comes about in about 400 A.D., so it's been around a long time too. And it basically arose uh, out of baptismal creeds. When people were baptized, the whole body of Christ, who was being entrusted in nurturing this one in the faith, they would recite creeds that had to do with who God is and whose name you were being baptized. And so the Apostles' Creed comes about as these baptismal creeds start giving rise to a more uniform creed the Apostles' Creed. And in the 3rd and 4th century, the Apostles' Creed started um, taking shape and started to be used by most Christians uh, all over the Roman Empire. And then in the 6th and 7th um, century, it, it becomes nearly exactly the way we say it today. Nearly exactly. But the Apostles' Creed, like the Nicene Creed, focuses on the three persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now I want to say this about creeds that may be the most important thing for us to embrace. And that is, the creeds are about a connection to God who is Father and therefore Creator, who is Son, therefore Redeemer, who is Holy Spirit, therefore Sustainer of our faith, the presence of Christ with us, the presence of God with us. And the Apostles' Creed also connects us not only to God, but to one another. Because we, with Christians all over the world, though we may differ on certain doctrines, there's a foundation that we all believe and we all embrace and we all accept. And it's a Trinitarian understanding of who God is. Now, the Apostle Creed, in connecting us to God and connecting us to other people, does something very important for us. It basically underscores the truth of Romans 8, that God will never separate from us. Nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
You know, in our Methodist hymnal, we have six or eight different creeds. Um, some of them are more modern and, and written later. And in fact, there's one that is just the reciting of Romans 8, this particular passage that we just read. And the, the, the center of that passage, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, and we hear that poetic form, will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or politics or race relations or name your favorite social issue. I think we read this text with the understanding that things that bring separation here, things that divide here, nothing separates us, nothing, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when we sense that separation, when we sense that which divides or, or that which uh, intends to destroy, th th then we need to focus on the fact that, that we in Christ, nothing separates us from that love. Now, what do you think of when you think of the term separation anxiety? What do you think about? Do you think about a, a, a toddler who's going to the nursery for the first time? Have you had that experience? You know, that experience of dropping uh, your baby or your toddler off and wondering, oh, I hope that, that she or he doesn't cry. Or, you know, I hope that that, that that separation anxiety doesn't set in. Or maybe a kindergartner going to big school for the first time. And, you know, it's hard for moms and dads, even dads, not to cry, right? And, and then an elementary student going to, to a camp and not just spending the night, but spending a whole week, you know, separation anxiety, sometimes sensed by the elementary student herself. Or a high school student going off to college for the first time. How many moms here have had a high school student go off to college for the first time? Uh, how many dads? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a separation anxiety because the family's not like it was when it's the first child. This is like it hasn't been for, what, 18 years, 19 years. Have I told y'all that, that I have a new grandbaby? Did y'all know that I had a new grand, have a new grandbaby? Well, um, I'm pretty proud. Her name is Lily Grace. And... Um, you, you know, in, in bringing the new grandbaby into the family, we've all been sensitive to our two-and-a-half, nearly three-year-old, Claire Marie, because of separation anxiety, right? Because now she's having to share her mom with her new baby sister and share her dad with her new baby sister, and all of these emotions kind of come in. So I've been paying special attention to, to Claire Bear. I'll catch up with Lily later. Uh, I've been paying attention to her too, but you know Claire's the one who is experiencing the separation anxiety, or potentially can. I think she's doing okay so far. Now, separation anxiety also happens to us as adults, and it happens throughout our lives. Let me just mention a few situations of separation anxiety. Some have known the separation anxiety of being separated from one you've been married to for some time. And that fear of divorce ending that relationship and that separation anxiety taking on a different form. And many have experienced that. Some know the separation anxiety of 
of losing a job and not knowing exactly professionally what you're going to do next and, and that separation from people you've worked with or colleagues and, 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 a, and a new setting, that separation anxiety exists. Some know the separation anxiety of losing a loved one to death and what it's like to think about life without this one. You know, I just talked to a member of our church who's down with her father who's over 100 years old and he's not going to live too many more minutes, minutes. And, and for all of her life, she's known her father, right? And all of her siblings, they've known her father. Even though you can anticipate someone is at his age, you, you know, we all have to die. It's still hard in that separation. Anxiety is still very real. And some of us even know the separation anxiety related to God. We feel separated from God. And the separation from God can happen sometimes when we have done something and we just, we're so ashamed and we're so full of guilt that we can't imagine how God could ever accept us because of what we did. And we say things that have to do with... with uh, I don't know how anyone could forgive me, much less how God could forgive me. And we're confused because of separation anxiety about who God is. Or sometimes we separate from God, we separate from God because something that we've prayed about, something that we've turned over to God, something that we, uh, we wanted to happen in a certain way doesn't happen in that certain way. And, and we blame God or we're angry at God and we don't know quite how to channel that anger. And so we, we sense that separation that comes from not knowing. And though that old adage, when you feel like God has left you, guess who moved, doesn't always help, even though it's true, Right? God doesn't move away from us. We move away from God, but God doesn't, never desires to move away from us. Any of us, no matter what. And, and yet sometimes we have, to, we, we, we have to separate. We separate because we're dealing with our own humanness, our own emotions. and We've we got to get to another place, but we may not be ready right now to make that move. How many people I've talked to who are in that very place? The passage that we read in the very beginning says, God for us did not spare His Son. And the Apostles' Creed embraces this aspect of who is God and who is Jesus. The Apostles' Creed underscores who God is and that nothing can separate us from God. And first, we know from the Bible and our Trinitarian theology that God and Christ are one in the same. Therefore, if we say, God for us did not spare His own Son, then we are saying that one of the highest forms of courage and one of the highest forms of valor is laying down your life for another. Now the problem comes when we read the complete statement, and it says, Paul says, God did not spare His own Son and gave Him up for us. It's hard for us to understand that love and commitment. I could not, 
I could not give up my son to death or my granddaughters or my wife. And I can't imagine God giving up his son. That can cause confusion. But let, let's, let's go back to the creed. Let's go back to what that belief is all about that comes right out of the Scripture that God the Father and God the Son are one. Different expressions from the same God. Therefore, it is God who sacrificed God's self. It's God that gave up His life for you and for me. Now, I can understand that. I can understand that kind of courage and that kind of valor that, that would love the world so much that God would lay down His life in the form of the Son for you and for me. That's why the creed is so important in connecting us to a God who is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. In verse 34, it is Jesus Christ who died, no, was raised from the dead, and who is at the right hand of God, and who also intercedes for us. Now, Paul is saying four things about Jesus, four things that the creeds pick up on. He's saying that Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended, and is at the right hand of the Father, and intercedes for us. We are God's constant thought and passion. You know, I once had a conversation with a, a woman who was in leadership at the church. And she'd come into my office to tell me she was leaving the church. I was shocked. And I said, why? And she said, I just can't be in a church that embraces the Apostles' Creed. I said, tell me more about that. She said, well, and she cited a, a teacher who was more liberal related to virgin birth and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And she said, I just can't embrace that. But she said, the worst thing is that I just can't see Jesus the way we say in the creed that he will come to judge the quick and the dead. I don't believe in Jesus being a judge. Now the earliest creed, which is still in essence what all creeds are about, it says he was crucified, dead and buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of God. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and and the dead. Now Paul agrees with the three terms that Jesus died, he rose and ascended to the right hand of God. But the fourth, this aspect of judgment, Paul puts a different spin on what is judge. Paul says, and he intercedes for us. He pleads our case for us to God. And Jesus is in fact God. 
God our mediator. God our, our, our counsel. God the one who steps in the gap for us. God who is always on our side. God who knows us as his children and would never give up on his children. Jesus is not there for us to be our prosecuting counsel. He's there to be our advocate and to plead our case. Now, I wish that 20 years ago when that woman came into my office that I had those words ready to tell her. Because that's her hang-up. That was her hang-up. She, she, she believed in saying the Apostles' Creed we were believing in a judgmental God who would condemn. But that is out of character with who Paul says God is in Christ. Now the renowned biblical scholar William Barclay, who wrote so much on the Bible and so much on the New Testament in particular, said this. I think the second way of taking this statement of Jesus as judge is right. With no tremendous leap of thought, Paul has seen Christ, not as a judge, but as the lover of the souls of people. Don't you love that? More importantly, don't you believe that? Don't you believe that it is in, in, in consistent testimony and witness to the to the Bible and what our creeds underscore that our God in Christ died, rose, ascended into heaven and intercedes for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're God's children and God loves us one and all. I don't know about you, but I can trust my eternity to a judge who loves us enough that the judge would lay down his life as a sacrament, as a sacrifice for you and for me. That's what we're talking about. Now, I remember this past week another woman who came into my office. She was leaving the church too, but she was moving out of town. And, and she had quite a different um, testimony that she had to share with me. She said, I was moving out of state and I wanted to stop by and talk with you for a bit. She said, I came here in the midst of tremendous separation anxiety, the word she used. She said, I had cancer and I was fearing that I might die. And I was fearing being separated from my daughter's. I was fearing being separated from all that I loved. I was in such turmoil. And in the midst of my chemotherapy treatment, my husband left me. And I had that separation anxiety to deal with and all of the trauma of, of, of that. And she said, and, and I was wondering where God was in the midst of all of that. And said, the church I was going to, it really wasn't their fault. But they really didn't get me. And they really weren't there for me like I needed them to be. And so on a whim, I like to say it was the Holy Spirit. She came here. And she said, I came to Lover's Lane in the midst of the most frightening, unsettled, unsure time of my life. 
she said. I came here and you loved my daughters. My youngest would come home talking about what she had learned in Sunday school. My oldest daughter found a place in the youth group that met her in the midst of her confusion and gave her a relationship with Jesus Christ and friendships that will probably last forever. I just came and I sat down in the sanctuary and I just listened. And God has been speaking to me through all of you. Then she said, I haven't been able to give a thing. She said, I just couldn't give. And I felt some shame and guilt about that until um, one of the staff said, you know, sometimes we're at a place that we have to receive. And we'll get to that place where we can give. But sometimes we're so hurt and so beaten down that we just have to, we have to receive. And she said, that meant so much to me because that's exactly where I was. And she said, I want to tell you, Pastor, I have received and I am taking much away. And I can assure you that what I have received and what I am taking away, I am going to pass on. And I'm going to witness to the power of the living Lord who never separates, never separates from us. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. She said, now I am leaving, but I am not afraid. God is with me. Thanks to you folk here in this great church helping me to see that. Now, let me tell you something. Pastors live for testimonies like that. You know, so oftentimes when somebody comes in to talk to you about leaving the church, it's not that kind of story. But to know that someone had been blessed to pass it on was such a blessing to hear. I've remembered it for years. She, in essence, was saying what the creed underscores. She, in essence, was saying what the source of the creed, Romans 8, amplifies. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from God? No, not even life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of our God who in Jesus Christ died, rose, ascended to the right hand of the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and for me who will never leave us, will never separate from us, who calls us to that kind of love and commitment to God. And so for centuries, 
we the church have said together we may disagree on how you take communion or who's supposed to take communion but we believe in communion we may disagree on how much water or how the water is applied in baptism but we believe in baptism we may disagree on an array of doctrines Uh, that's why we have so many different denominations but let me tell you something when it comes to the body of Christ we come together around these basics I believe in God the Father Almighty and you can say it with me if you'd like maker of heaven and earth And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and the third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen.